1990, I had the privilege of visiting Poland. And Poland is a beautiful country with beautiful people, some of the kindest people I've ever met overseas. And they told stories of the early 80s. They handed us out little pins for the solidarity movement. And we quickly were co-opted into the solidarity movement because we were Americans. Surely we'd be a part of the solidarity movement. Well, as I grew older and Google became a little bit more fancy, I was able to look up, what in the world have I signed myself up for? What I learned was in December of 1981, the communist government leaders decided to make the solidarity movement a crime and began to jail its leaders. And so, as a way of protest in February of 1982, the people decided they were no longer going to watch the media that was controlled by the communist government. This, this fake news, if I can use that word, that was going around. And so as a way of protest, they decided that they would put their televisions in their windows to show everyone I am not watching the news. Then they said, no, no, that's not good enough. We need to actually take walks so that people know that we are not watching our television. So they were walking around on the sidewalks, in the squares, and they said, no, let's combine these things. Let's take our televisions for a walk. So on February 5th, 1982, in Switic, Poland, and racing across the country, everyone took their television for a walk. Can you imagine televisions in baby carriages, in wheelbarrows? The government was furious. There is no way they could arrest them for taking their televisions for a walk, but it was a subversive, ordinary act of resistance, saying we will not buy into the world's system, into this system. We're going to stand up and do something different, and so they decided to make the curfew 7 o'clock during the time of the news hour, so these people couldn't be carrying their televisions out. What do these people do? They began walking at five o'clock. Now, perhaps you don't know anything about the solidarity movement, but this day of resistance, this day of resistance, choosing not to buy into the corrupt world system, but declaring, I am separating myself out from this madness. I'm going to live my life differently. This was an ordinary act of resistance. This morning, I'm going to talk about a day of resistance that the Bible calls Sabbath, Shabbat. Our Western culture bows at the gods of productivity and work-based identity I am who I, what I do. We're human doings, not human beings. And speed and hurry and rush. And if I'm busy, certainly that means I'm important. We try to find fulfillment in being busy and seeming important to others. But it's all a mirage. And I will hazard to say there is nothing more important in our culture than coming into alignment with this biblical rhythm of Sabbath. So this morning we're going to continue this series, which is pretty much me putting you behind the ski boat and skiing you around all of these places where I'm going personally. 
These things I'm learning about God's unforced rhythms of grace. Because we've got to begin living differently. We can no longer take time to conform to this world, but we need to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. And in order to help our minds to be renewed, we need our bodies and our, and our rhythms to match with what God is saying. And so we've been talking about different postures, postures of resistance, like slowing. I talked about the posture of slowing. How are we doing? Anybody make any growth on slowing down? Raise your hand. Okay, there's a few. Okay. If you haven't listened to that message, you can find it online in various forms, podcasted, as well as in video. Videos are more interesting. Go to YouTube. We've also talked about postures of engagement, like practicing silence to engage God and to hear his voice, to practice the solitude, this posture of solitude, being alone and quiet. Talked about this regular engagement of a daily time with God, the way that Jesus did. This morning's topic of Sabbath is actually both a resistance posture to our culture and it's an engagement posture of engaging and embracing the presence of God for a full 24-hour period of time. So I'm going to talk about that today and help you understand you really can do this. So let's dive in right into the Ten Commandments. Of course, this is the fourth commandment. It actually takes up, if you count words, Hebrew words, about 30, over 30% of the Ten Commandments is actually this fourth commandment. I mean, if it's got that much chisel time committed to it, even if it's God that's chiseling, it's probably pretty important. So let's take a look. Uh, Exodus 20, verse 8. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you, nor your son or daughter, nor your manservant or maidservant, nor your animals, nor the alien within your gates. Okay, starts with remember. Remember, don't forget. Don't forget to do this. Don't forget to take a day off. Don't forget what I've done for you, God says. Don't forget the kind of God that I am. We need to remember. And we have a memory problem as humans. We need to make sure we remember. Starts with the word remember. Then it talks about keeping the Sabbath, this keeping it holy. Holy is the word for perfect, but it's also the word for set apart. This table is holy Devoted to preaching. It doesn't, it's not really used for anything else. Just for me standing up here putting my notes and various things on it. I didn't put the TV on. I wasn't sure it was going to hold it or not. So this day is holy. It's set apart for God's use. Special to the Lord. So this day is just not any kind of rest. It's God-centered rest and focus on God. And... It's clear from this verse, we're talking about one out of seven days. That seems like really obvious, but let's just, sometimes the obvious things are the most important. And then there's all of this verbiage about 
not your son or your daughter, nor your servants, your animals, or even people who, who aren't Jews who live with you, they're not to work. What's going on here? This is, hey, don't compromise. Don't try to find a loophole. Don't tr- go try to find somebody to go, I'm just going to send my six-year-old to do it, and then, see, I'm, not, I'm getting around it kind of thing. Don't try to work through others on that day. So this is a moment for us bosses to ask, do we give our workers a Sabbath? Now, later in the message, you'll find out that it doesn't have to necessarily be a certain day, but are we actually allowing others to rest if it's in our power to do so? I know years ago, I was talking to one of my farming friends, and they finally, they, they were reading this and they were convicted, so they decided to give their, di- their guys Sundays off as a Sabbath day. And they didn't lose productivity, and they didn't lose equipment, and everything seemed to go smoothly for that season. And the person was shocked. This is the blessing of God. He can sustain you. The verse goes on to verse 11. It says, For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that's in them. He rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day, and he made it holy. So there is a blessing for this day, but it's talking about the creation of the world. And where does this rhythm of six days working, one day resting come from? Glad you asked. Genesis 2, verses 1 through 3. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. And God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it, he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. So God sets the pace. He works for six days and then he rests for one. Is God tired after doing all that creating? No. And God is blessing that seventh day. Meaning, it's a day that becomes rich in blessing for all of us. And it's a reminder to us that God is the one who brings all blessing. Every perfect gift comes from him. Not our ability to work hard. We don't get the credit. So God creates humans on the sixth day of creation. If you've studied the creation story. So here's Adam and Eve. They're like, wow, what is this all about? (gasps) Cool. I'm brand new. And what do they do on their very first day? They rest. Their very first experience is this Sabbath rest day with God. Now, there are many other ancient writings about gods. And so... Their stories generally talk about a specific place, a temple, let's say, for that God to reside in that was built by human hands. Put a couple pictures up here on the screen for you. And when each God's temple was built, two things would happen. First of all, a statue, some kind of image, would be placed in the middle of the temple. It was a visible representation of this God. So in this picture, this is Athena. This is in um, the, Nashville has this 
a replica of the Parthenon, and this is what's inside. By the way, do you see the man standing there on the statue? Do you see how big this statue is? So it's giving us a visual representation of the God. That's the first thing. The second thing was that that God would be invited to take up residence in that space, in that temple, bringing its presence there, if you will, right? So, and this is accompanied by a grand celebration, an inaugural celebration where the people would stop working and start feasting, okay? Did you see the pattern? Build the temple, invite the, put the, put the picture or the, the icon of the statue up, invite the God to, to come inside or to live there and now party and stop from work. What does Genesis do? I love it when the Bible is literally poking every false god in the eyeball when it says what it says. And this is what's going on here. It follows the same narrative of the false gods, but it turns everything upside down. So first of all, God has a temple, but it's not a building. It's the entire earth. Two, instead of a statue, what does God do? He creates man and women. Man and woman. Talking is hard. Created images of himself. Image, we were created in the image of God, Genesis 1 says. Wrapped in skin, put in the garden as divine icons, if you will. Physical representations of God who creates all things. And then that first day is the inaugural party called Sabbath, where you stop working and you invite the presence of God to fill the earth. So Adam is created, Adam and Eve are created, their first memory, Sabbath. Sabbath for Adam and Eve was pure delight. How do I know that? Because delight is one of the translations of the word Shabbat. To stop or to cease and to delight. So God's perspective was work, then rest. Adam's perspective, rest, then work. Jefferson Bethke says this. I like this quote. Too many of us are trying to be like God when we are Adam. Only when we truly know rest and celebration can we know how to work it and then enjoy it. We work from rest not to get it. He goes on to say this. So, so many Christians think Keeping the Sabbath is somehow just a Jewish thing. Just for a long time ago. That was kind of a fad and it's done now. But even in the New Testament, I always like to show Old Testament and New Testament, the whole counsel of God fitting together, the whole larger story fitting together. Hebrews 4 says this, verse 9. There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from his work, just as God did from his. Let us, therefore, make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will fall by following their example of disobedience. Now, the larger section, this is a a part of a larger section here. And certainly, the writer of Hebrews is all about the primacy or the Um, the first place 
and the lordship of Jesus Christ, being lord over all creation, all angels, all powers, all principalities, everything. It's all about Jesus. And the writer then also will go on to talk much about faith and saving faith and not trying to earn or deserve our salvation. And we read that in Ephesians 2, Paul says. But this is clearly a sense of rest for those who are Christians who have given their life to Jesus. Now, some people want to spiritualize this and say, oh yeah, this is just the spiritual concept of rest. But I keep thinking, I don't think Jesus canceled the idea of Sabbath. And I think we're supposed to make every effort to enter that rest. While we're not striving to try to get favor from God because we already have it. He already loves you. He can't love you anymore. You can't earn or deserve more love from God. I'm delighted to do good works to please him, but that's not how I get favor from him. At the same time, we're supposed to actually make an effort to enter rest. So we're looking at Jesus rhythms in the the gospels. I believe that the light yoke we're supposed to be wearing from Matthew 11 is not just Jesus' teachings of Torah and how to live those out, although that's true. It's also his pace about how quickly he moves and works and we're to walk with him in his pace. So while we're to walk with Jesus in his steps, we're also to walk at his pace. And in this series, I'm really looking at the life of Jesus saying, Jesus, how did you live? I think how Jesus lived is supposed to be the example for us. One of the things that Jesus did was he rested one out of every seven days. This was one of Jesus' rhythms. However, Jesus was also redefining what Sabbath was for the people. They had gotten pretty mixed up. We're pretty mixed up too. Why? Because Sabbath had become a burden and not a gift from God. A list of you better not, you better not. And Jesus really ruffled a lot of feathers by doing things on the Sabbath. If you've read the Gospels, he heals on the Sabbath quite a bit. And this was supposedly work, to pray for someone and see them be healed. Super controversial for the Pharisees. It wasn't work for him. It was God's delight to bring others into shalom and to use him in that way. What does Jesus say about keeping the Sabbath? Because Jesus didn't come to abolish the law, but to, to fulfill the law, he says. So, Mark 2, verse 27. Then he said to them, the, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man, that's himself, is Jesus, is Lord even of the Sabbath. What do I see here? Well, first of all, Jesus says, I'm, I'm, the, I'm the boss of the Sabbath. I get to redefine it however I want. I'll help you out here, get things clear. So this first century, people are looking for loopholes, trying to send their kids out to do some work or do some stuff or try to figure out how they could get around all of the legalism around Sabbath. They didn't see it as a blessing. They saw it as a burden. And the culture didn't enjoy much leisure in the first century. Jesus needed to let them know that they weren't made to serve the Sabbath like it was God, like a taskmaster. Now today, 
Our culture isn't legalistic about keeping the Sabbath unless you're Seventh-day Adventist or perhaps Jewish or perhaps you're one of the very few friends that I know that really honor Shabbat. But we need to heed the first part of the verse that Sabbath is this great gift to us. It's made for us. We are not made for it. It was made to bless us. I've been really enjoying a book uh, from A.J. Swoboda. I was feverishly trying to get through it last night when my eyes began to cross and then I had to put it down. So you'll probably hear more from that book next week. But he writes in this book, the Sabbath has largely been forgotten by the church, which has uncritically mimicked the rhythms of the industrial and success-obsessed West. The result... Our road-weary, exhausted churches have largely failed to integrate Sabbath into their lives as vital elements of Christian discipleship. He goes on to say this. It is not as though we do not love God. We love God deeply. We just do not know how to sit with God anymore. We have become perhaps the most emotionally exhausted, psychologically overworked, spiritually malnourished people in history. Ouch. But I think he's right. I love this illustration because when we fight this six days of work, one day of Sabbath rhythm, we go against the grain of the universe. And one philosopher said this, if you go against the grain of the universe, you will get splinters. I think failing to keep the Sabbath is this way. The last time a society decided to get away from the seven-day work week was during the French Revolution. They switched to a 10-day work week to up productivity. Guess what happened? The economy crashed, suicide rates skyrocketed, productivity plummeted, and people lost their head. So... God has established a rhythm for us. We can either come into alignment with it or we can go against the grain of the universe and get splinters. Now the studies show that after you work 50 hours in a week, your productivity crashes. Guess what 50 hours comes out to if you do the math? What it represents? A six-day work week. Hmm. One study said there is no difference in the productivity between working 50 hours and working 70 hours. And if you ever worked a 70-hour work week, like I have, it's completely true. Less is more. God knew what he was doing when he designed this. And then he gave Sabbath as a gift to us. So let's look at this idea of Sabbath for a few more minutes. Shabbat, it's actually a verb to stop, to cease, Stop working, stop wanting, stop worrying, stop chasing after things. Stop chasing your tail. Stop chasing what the world says is going to fulfill you. The Sabbath is an entire day to stop and delight. Now, if you're new to this concept, and I think many of you are, honestly, you might be wondering, what could I do for 24 hours that would just fill my soul with like deep throbbing joy. Like that would make me spontaneously combust, combust with wonder and awe and gratitude and prayer. Andrew, I think what you're going to ask me to do is going to be really boring. 
Dan Allender, in his book about Sabbath, said this. The Sabbath is an invitation to enter delight. The Sabbath, when experienced as God intended, is the best day of our lives. Without question or thought, it is the best day of the week. It is the day we anticipate and the day that we remember. Going on, he says this. Sabbath is the holy time where we feast Play, dance, have sex, sing, pray, laugh, tell stories, read, paint, walk, watch creation in all of its fullness. Few people are willing to enter the Sabbath and sanctify it to make it holy because a full day of delight and joy is more than most people can bear in a lifetime, let alone a week. So we get to... The end of our week and Sabbath is how we get our souls refilled. So I, I saw a survey by a doctor who cited the happiest people on earth. He did this, uh, this study about the happiest people on earth. And near the top was a group of, uh, of Christians, a denomination called the Seventh-day Adventists. Now, I'm not going to unwind all the things that they believe. But they're religious literally about the Sabbath. And the doctor noted that this group... They lived about 10 years longer than the average American. If you do the math, if you Sabbath once every seven days, it adds up to 10 years over a lifetime. For the Jewish people, a Shabbat spans from Friday at sundown to Saturday at sundown. And I know I have friends both here in Chico and far and wide who honor and celebrate Shabbat. They'll sing songs and they'll pray prayers They'll break bread on Friday night for their Shabbat dinner, have their family gathered. They'll light two candles, at least two candles. And yet, the early church seems to have kind of co-opted and moved Shabbat for their own purposes. In some ways, it seems in Acts 20 and 1 Corinthians 16 that they've moved to the first day of the week, Sunday, to honor the fact that Jesus was raised from the dead on that day. And it was Constantine that I believe officially tried to move Shabbat to Sunday. There are some that would argue that God doesn't change. He didn't change the day. Don't monkey with the day. They would say Friday evening to Saturday evening. But I believe that Jesus gives us the light yoke and freedom. I think he explains that we're to worship him in spirit and in truth in John 4. And in that same passage, it says there's not a specific place you worship him. And I don't even believe that it's about a specific time necessarily. As much as it is that it's a regular practice once out of seven days. So let's take me for example. Sunday is not my Sabbath. I know that's a shocker for you. Why? Because it's an intense work day. Some of you guys see me after church, you're like, you look exhausted. I am exhausted. Whatever I do up here, it's just like running a marathon. I just like, I think I just need to lay down. Right? It would be, it would not be Shabbat for me to take Sunday as a Sabbath. Saturdays haven't worked for me either because I do a lot of funerals and weddings on Saturdays. Now for you to go to a funeral or wedding is almost, it could be a worshipful thing. It could be a really meaningful part of Shabbat. But when you're leading it, it's not. It's very intense and very hard. And it makes you feel like you just ran a marathon. So Andrew, what does that mean? Like, is it, do you just not take Sabbath? No, I just take a different day. 
It doesn't mean a floating day. You just go like, I think this week I'm going to take Wednesday. That doesn't work. You need a predictable rhythm. It could be a meaningful part of your week that you always look forward to and you remember you just had it in the last couple days. So I observe my Sabbath on, what, do you, what day do you think I observe it? Not Monday, Friday. That's right. Now Monday, I'm like trying to recover from church. And I want to be filled up by the time I get to church. So Fridays, I take Shabbat. Andrew, what do you do on Shabbat? Well, I don't do the same things every time, but I'll just kind of made a list here. Sleeping in. Woo! Try to do that as much as possible. Sometimes I don't get to, and sometimes the Lord wakes me up and I get up early. Brewing and drinking coffee is such a holy thing, especially if you're French press like I do. Have the time to like just let it seep, let it sit. Look out the window. Spending time with my wife. She's off on Fridays. Walking, exercise. Working with my hands. Wait a second, working? You're supposed to cease from work. Saw this quote. A man who works with his mind should do Sabbath with his hands. A man who works with his hands should do Sabbath with his mind. This is not about being legalistic. I'm going to take at least another week to try to help you understand that. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. And for me, working with my hands sometimes is very relaxing. Unless it's like fixing something for my wife. Then that's work. That goes on a different day. Truly. Reading. I believe, church, that we need to be readers once again. Now, I'm also learning that some of you are listeners to books and things. And although I'm not an auditory list, uh, I'm not, that's not my learning style, I know for some of you it really is. So when I say reading, it can also mean audible or listening podcasts and different things, right? Uh, going to the float spa, getting a massage, sitting by the fire, or sitting on the back patio, or sitting by a pool somewhere at someone else's house. Not having anything scheduled. <sighs> I don't have to go, oh my gosh, I got to make sure that I'm ready by two o'clock for the, unless it's a golf tea time and then it's probably pretty acceptable. Hiking, very life-giving. Cuddling dogs, or some of you for a cat, but I'm allergic. Watching Bible project videos, one of my new favorite things to do on Shabbat. I just turn on my iPad, I'm like, what video am I going to watch today? And like two hours later, I'm like, oh my gosh, I should get up and eat something. Visiting my parents. They live across town, but going over, hanging out with them. Attending a play. Did that recently on Shabbat. Going to a concert. Doing word puzzles. I like to play strategic games where I have to tell the village, like, how much food to buy or whatever. It's super nerdy, right? But to me, that's like relaxing. Eating meals with friends and doing life together. Shabbat isn't necessarily a solo sport. It should be a family sport. There's so many other things. I just want to start giving you ideas. Sometimes adults can't find their way and they, until they see a way. You might ask me, what did you do for Shabbat this week? And I would answer this way. Disneyland. What? 
You went to Disneyland? I know, I had to fly back yesterday so I could be with you this morning. Could Shabbat actually happen at Disneyland? I was so at rest. I did, however, put in 28,000 steps, no joke. My phone's like, (laughs) I was with people that I loved. I was eating great food. I was enjoying like the most incredible plants that they've planted everywhere. Now, maybe some of you just want to ride the rides, but I'm like, what kind of plant is this? I was enjoying being outside, getting sun on my face. I laid my head on the pillow and I said, thank you, Jesus. What a great day that was. Plus the Star Wars ride was just off the chain. (laughs) What do you not do on Shabbat, Andrew? Glad you asked. I don't keep my phone on generally. Or if I do, it's in the other room. I don't schedule much. I don't do household chores. I don't spend time binging something, watching something digitally, unless it's directly related to my growth or as a person of faith. So like, for instance, I've been watching a masterclass on sleep. To me, that's really interesting and life-giving. And so, and I'm listening to it in part and watching it in part because I want it to inform what we're talking about but it's not work for me. That's like, that's really fun. I want to understand how God created me so I can get the most out of sleep. Does that make sense? For you, that might sound like work, but for me, that's fun. But what happens when you get called on Shabbat by a friend to move the furniture out of their house? What do you do then? You pray about it and you do what you want. Because man was not made for the Sabbath. The Sabbath was made for man. So when our friend Scott Dowell, the pastor across town, and that is, by the way, the church that Pastor Chris is speaking at this morning to bless and help them. They requested him to come over. Uh, Danielle's a part of our youth group here. And Noah, who graduated last year, was also in the youth group. And so they're close friends. Robin also served on staff here with us. But when they called and they said, there's been this plumbing accident We need to get the the furniture out of the house so that the flooring can get fixed. And then Scott's supposed to come back from the hospital. They want to put a a bed in the living room here for him. But this has to get done. So when I got that phone call, do you think I said, you know, that's my day of rest. Um, Sorry, I think I'm going to skip that. No, I showed up with all those other pastors And within maybe an hour, we moved that furniture, no big deal. The best part was, I was with a bunch of pastors who had all kinds of fun together. And I was like, this is one of the best things for Shabbat I've ever done. Plus, I got a little bit of a workout. Why? Because I'm not a legalist. Sometimes, serving is actually what gives you the most joy. And you could just be honest with yourself. So I was out at the farm. We're taking care of the the sheep, make frequent trips to the farm. Sometimes we stay for dinner with the family. So it's the grandparents and the kids and the grandkids and then a whole bunch of us that just end up showing up and getting invited to the table. More about opening your table up 
later in the series. And so it's time to wash dishes. And, you know, Mike has the short straw. He's going to wash dishes. And it's my Shabbat. It's my Sabbath day. It's my rest day. So I'm like, I want to wash dishes with you. I'm not thinking, it's Shabbat. I don't wash dishes on that day. No. And so we're having this conversation. Mike's like, no, you're supposed to be resting today. I said, Mike, I want to do this. Okay, so what do we do? We did it together. Made it quick. It was fun. I love that. Why? Because this is who I am. This is what we do. We serve. We love Jesus. We serve others. Are you getting it yet? Are you, is it starting to kind of like sink in a little bit? I wanted to give you a couple kind of real life examples. It's not a science. Washing dishes with a friend is fun. Especially when it's not your dishes. Like this is fun. When you begin to observe and practice this spiritual discipline of Sabbath weekly, the slowing on that one day actually begins to influence the other six days. Our restlessness begins to fade as we experience rest one day per week. One of the things I've realized as I have become more and more diligent about this is actually I'm feeling more tired because my body's finally going, well, it's about time you slow down, mister. And that's okay. Because I know that it's, I'm going to come to a place of feeling more full. John Mark Comer says this, Sabbath isn't just a 24-hour time slot in your weekly schedule. It's a spirit of restfulness that goes with you throughout your week. A way of living with ease, gratitude, appreciation, and prayer. I love that. A way of working from rest, not for rest, with nothing to prove. A way of bearing fruit from abiding, not ambitious. Not ambition. So what will keep you from adopting this posture? Well, I got the why nots for you. You ready? I'm going to fly through these real quick. Here's the why nots. It's not for today. This is a Jewish thing. Wrong answer. Jesus did not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. Two. I can't afford not to work for one day a week. Yes, you can. It's called trusting Jesus. One of the reasons that the Sabbath is in place is to teach God's people to trust him that every good gift comes from him and that he can provide for your needs. You don't have to be working seven days a week. In fact, we're not designed to work seven days a week. I'm a mom. I can never rest. I'm raising tiny humans. Don't you understand? This will never work for me. This is where you get creative, where you have a couple families come together so that everybody's kind of taking turns watching kids so that you're not having to do so much with the dinner prep. Or there's this place called Papa Murphy's that makes these pizzas that they make ahead of time that you can buy beforehand and put it in your refrigerator. And then on Shabbat, you could just put it in the oven and everyone's happy because everyone loves pizza. And perhaps it means you lower your expectations on what you're going to accomplish that day. Why? Because you're ceasing from work. Do you want to teach your kids to be workaholics? Or do you want to teach your kids a work-life balance? That's the question I think you have to ask yourself. By the way, Shabbat is best done in the context of community and family. That for next week. Um... This is legalistic and pharisaical. I can't believe you, Andrew. You're doing all this stuff. Pharisees, I think, always talk fast for some reason. Why? Because they're in a hurry and they're not really hearing God's voice. 
That's John 5. Listen to last week. It's not true. Number five, I can't do something wonderful. I'm too busy being all beat up. And if I'm kind to myself and actually rest, it's going to mess up my identity. For some of you, that's true. You don't know how to care for yourself. And you actually aren't in a good relationship with yourself. I was having a conversation with a friend about that this morning. And that's pointing to some identity stuff. We'd love to help you walk through that. Oh, number six, Shabbat sounds boring. Well, then you're not doing it right. Let us help you. I gave you some ideas of really fun stuff. Number seven, I'm going to miss my digital world too much. Ooh, this is where the rubber meets the road here. What do you mean I can't binge my favorite show on Netflix for Shabbat? Oh, you can. Let's just see what the fruit of that looks like. You'll be more exhausted at the end of that day than filled up. And if the idea is to invite the presence of God, um, depending upon what you're watching on Netflix, that may not necessarily be doing that. This is both a posture of resistance and engagement. All right, let's close this thing up. Deuteronomy 5. Deuteronomy means the second giving of the law. We get the Ten Commandments in Exodus chapter 20. And then a whole generation has to like walk around, do a 40-year camping trip, die off. And then there's another giving. The second giving of the law, Deuteronomy, is, happens. It's the fifth book of the Bible. In Deuteronomy 5, it says this. Uh, where is it? Sorry, I wrote it, wrote it down for you. Uh, oh, yeah. Just It starts the fourth commandment with observe the Sabbath and keep it holy. Well, now, wait a second. Before it was remember. Are you changing the tablets? No, he's saying no. You can't. It's not just enough to remember. You, you got to actually do this. You got to observe the Sabbath. Now this word for observe, it reminds me of observing a holiday, right? So the word for holiday uh, comes from the old English, um, holly dig. And so here it is. I put a little slide up here for you. We got holidays in our culture. In fact, some people think today, which happens to be Super Bowl Sunday, should be a holiday. And the Bengals, in faith, have already talked about making tomorrow a holiday for the parade. And now I know there's Rams fans here, so like I hope that that's not the case for you. But observing the Sabbath is like a holiday every week without the family drama. Does that sound good to you? I mean, observing Sabbath is like, not observing Sabbath, is like someone saying, do we have to celebrate Christmas this year? Do you have to give me presents for my birthday? Do we have to go to Fifth Street Steakhouse to have that amazing steak? Do we have to go to Disneyland? I mean, you don't have to do any of those things, but why wouldn't you? Just because something is spiritual and inviting the presence of God doesn't mean it's boring. That is important to know. The Jewish people, as I've been studying the feasts a little bit more and more, I started counting up the days that they're commanded to feast. So it looks like it's about 30 days out of every year, give or take a few days. I might have missed a few. That they're like, okay, time to get together as a nation, as a family, and you're going you're gonna to celebrate. You're going to celebrate this, you're going to celebrate this, celebrate this. Then you add Sabbath every week. 
Guess what? You got about 70 days worth of feasting out of every year. Do you think celebration and feasting is important to God? It's right there in the Bible. It's like it's commanded. You must party. Yeah, I'm in. Totally. And I'm going to be better for it. A couple years ago, I officiated a, a wedding for this woman who is Assyrian. And the Assyrian culture is uh, very much alive and well, and especially in Central California. So this, this wedding was at a, a golf course in Ripon, California. So we're down there, and um, this Assyrian girl is marrying um, this guy from Chico Paradise area. And they're using all of the Assyrian cultural uh, nuances, which I had to learn because I, I didn't know. And one of the distinctives about the reception, well, there's several that were very interesting, but the one that I want to talk about is a circle dance that's specific to that culture. And there are certain steps. You kind of come in and you come out and you do like this kick thing and it's a thing. And then you turn and you walk a certain way and you turn, you walk the other way. So I'm thinking, this looks complicated, right? And just like a junior high boy at his first dance, right? I'm just like, I wonder if I can just like be on the wall and like look at my phone and like not be in, in the midst of this. Now my wife, who will never miss any good moment, goes, we're doing this. I'm like, okay, we're doing this. I'm going to look so silly, but I'm, I'm in it, right? And so, you know, you, 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 you join hands and I'm trying to figure it out and I'm stepping all over people's feet and I, I mean, I'm, and people are laughing at me. Don't get me wrong. I mean, like, there, this, was, this was a very humorous moment. And I'm thinking this is not my best look right now. And um, I, I feel like Shabbat and Sabbath, uh, this observing of Sabbath is a little bit like being at that reception. I'm really tempted to just kind of do my thing against the wall and, and kind of miss this dance because God has put together this rhythm and this dance that's perfect to dance to. And yet out of fear, it would be really easy for me to be the junior high boy stuck on his phone back against the wall. But once I got into the dance, there was so much joy I'm like, I can't believe I almost missed this. I think Sabbath is that way for you. You can choose to do Sabbath on Sundays and decide we're going to make pancakes every single Sunday and get the griddle out and put chocolate chips in them and do all kinds of wonderful things, eat wonderful things. Then we'll come to church and then we'll go to these things and we'll take a nap. There's a Sabbath nap, by the way. It's called the uh, Shabbat Schluff. It's a special thing. Sometimes you got to schluff hard on a Sunday afternoon, right? But maybe Sunday is not your Sabbath kind of day. Maybe you need to go back to Saturday Sabbath and you say, this is the day we're going to focus on. So then on Sunday after church, we'll do our errands and our different things then. Or I, I read one pastor who said, we do Sabbath on Wednesday. I think, how in the world do you do that? But for them, that's what works better. So I guess what I want to leave you with is this, is this. Are you missing the dance? Are you willing to come in and try? Even if you look silly, even if it doesn't work perfect, even if you step on a few toes, and are you willing to think about what day of the week 
that would work for you. If you'd stand, I want to pray for us. Thanks for hanging around a few extra minutes today. Jesus, we believe that this idea of Sabbath is a gift to us. We want to enter into the rest that you have, and we want to carry the pace that you have. God, thank you that you have shifted my life and that things are different for me. And I pray that same thing for my friends, that they would join the dance, that they'd step out, and that this would be a day of resistance, a time when they would carry their TV and show that they are not willing to go the world's way. And so I bless this church family meeting far and wide right now in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. We'll see you next week.